You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. That was good. How long have you been playing trumpet, young man? Seven years? Okay, good. Well, that was a great job. I, um, I played percussion when I was younger. I was looking around for a drum to do a special, but you're not one of those churches, so that's all right. I'll spare you. Um, you know that your pastor at one point played the trumpet, right? You know, who didn't know that? Raise your hand if you did not know that. Well, now you do. He'll probably be very upset at me for telling you because now you're going to ask him to play for you. When we were younger, uh, we would, we would you know, go over to our grandparents' house, and my brother played the trumpet. I played the, the drums. I had a snare drum. My brother had a trumpet, and we would, we would, we would be made to play a trumpet and drum duet in front of my grandparents. And I mean, the trumpet is great, the drum is great, but no one just listens to a trumpet and a snare drum by itself in my grandparents' house. But they smiled and they, you know, it seems like they enjoyed it, but uh, anyway. But uh, I enjoyed that special. And folks, it is good to be back with you tonight. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. It's good to see God's house full. Uh, once again, I'm not your pastor. I'm your pastor's brother. And, uh, but it has been good to be here in town with you all. And I just want to say uh, to Heritage Baptist Church, thank you so much for your kindness. You're so kind. Uh, and, and from the first moment that I walked in here, the first time I ever visited, you all were just so welcoming, so kind. And, uh, you know, that's abnormal up north. Okay, so forgive me if I'm a little shocked by just general hospitality. You know, um, you remember during COVID, social distancing, right? Everyone's six feet away. I don't even know if you all did that down here. But listen, we invented social distancing up there. Okay, it didn't take a pandemic. We always are like, you stay away, you stay away from me. All right, you can't trust people around there. But uh, anyway, you all are so kind, and thank you very, very much for your kindness. Thank you for caring for my brother and his family, and, and now for my parents being down here as well. Uh, thank you very much for all that. And um, are you okay if I, if I just speak with you a little bit just before I preach tonight? Is, is it okay if I just share my heart with you about something? Um, so I am the co-pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Lockport, Illinois. Uh, I work for my father-in-law, so I'm, I'm married to the pastor's daughter, and uh, that's the only reason I'm there, uh, is because of the grandkids. You know, Grandpa wanted to see the grandkids, but uh, so Pastor Harrison has Crohn's disease. I don't know if there's anyone here that has Crohn's disease, or if you know anyone that does. Uh, but it's a nasty, it's a nasty disease, and there's no cure for it, and uh, it, it, it dramatically affects your life. It's, it's something that you struggle with constantly, and Pastor Harrison was, this was in 2000, uh, tail end of 2017, um, he started getting sick very, very frequently, and when you have Crohn's disease, you're always sick, but he started getting sick to the point where it would 
take him out of a Sunday service. And none of us were used to seeing that. Very unusual. And it would happen sporadically, and then it started happening more frequently. And it came to 2018, uh, Pastor Harrison made it clear to, the, to all of us that he needed to take a break. And, and our, our family spoke with him very candidly and said, Dad, you need to take a break. You need to rest. You need to get better. And so uh, he has some family down in Georgia. And so he took a planned sabbatical. I believe it was supposed to be a, a one-month sabbatical, one or two months, I can't remember. But he traveled down to Georgia, and he was just supposed to spend time with family and rest and just get better. And it was about two weeks after he arrived there that his colon ruptured. And he ended up in the hospital. And he's already a small guy to start with. But he got down to 98 pounds, I think, at his smallest. Um, obviously, when you have an internal organ that ruptures, you know that there's all kinds of complications that come from that. And even if you can repair the immediate, uh, the immediate uh, wound that the ongoing infection, you might not recover from it. And so while the church, we had planned for a one to two month restful vacation, it ended up being a fight for his life. And here I was as the assistant pastor standing before a group of people like you all. And I remember, I remember one Sunday getting up before the church and saying, folks, I don't know if pastor is going to come back. And that was hard. And um, praise the Lord, God did raise him up and heal them. And truthfully, he is stronger today than he was in 2017. And he had some procedures that he had been putting off because in his mind they were elective, but they were really necessary. And he today is, again, he, he's, he's getting older and he still has Crohn's disease that hasn't gone away, but he doesn't have those bouts like he did at that one point. And his quality of life today is better than it was before. And I shared that story with you to tell you that my heart goes out to you because I've been in a position where your pastor's not in the pulpit, and there are questions, and you're concerned. You're just concerned. You're just worried. You just want God to raise him back up, and there's probably some questions in your mind. Why are we going through this? Let me just tell you, God has a purpose. God has a purpose. And I appreciated the prayer meeting and the good brother that shared some things that were on his heart and how we should pray. I agree with you 100%. It's exactly the right way to pray. Pray that God would do the work in everyone's hearts that needs to be done during this time. Pastor's heart and your hearts. And that when he comes back, your hearts will be knit closer. And that's what happened at Grace. Our hearts were knit closer to our pastor. Our hearts were knit closer to each other. There are things that God can only teach us through deep waters and valleys. And those are the only times. We are always grateful for those lessons. But sometimes when we're just struggling to keep our head above water, we say, get me out. So just pray that God will teach the lesson that needs to be taught, that God would do the work in your heart that needs to be done. And I assure you, God will take care of his man. He always does. He will. He will, and he is. 
But let me tell you, it's a special thing for a church family to be able to be used as an instrument in that healing and recuperation. That God can use every one of you to aid in his recovery, to aid in him getting back to full strength. And that doesn't mean, by the way, it doesn't mean sharing all of your opinions. Okay, because we all have them. But he doesn't need any more. He has enough of his own, trust me. Just pray that the Lord use me. Lord, use me to be a help in any way that I can. God will, God will take care of his man with ravens if he needs to. But he'd rather use people. He'd rather use you. And this is not the only deep valley that this church is ever going to go through. I remember the, the revival, the winter revival that you all had in February that I was able to be a part of. And I remember Pastor Gomez and Pastor Angel standing before you and telling you, brace yourselves for what's coming. You're not going to enter into a building program without the devil trying to stop it. You remember that? I remember that. And guess what? Your problems are not going to completely go away after this. God will bring you through this, but your problems are not going to completely go away. But you know why your problems won't go away? It's because you're alive. You're alive. You want all your problems to go away? Let this die. Let this church be like so many others and just die. I have never once had a corpse complain to me. They cause no more problems. They have no more problems. But while we're alive, we're going to have some problems. And it's a sign of being alive. And this is a church that's alive. Praise God. God has something in store for this church that's greater than you can possibly imagine. So trust him. Stand by your pastor. What he needs to hear from you when he gets back is, we love you, brother. We've been praying for you. Good to have you back. Good to have you back. What do you need? That's it. And move forward. All right. You ready for some preaching? Okay. 2 Samuel chapter 11, if you would. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Thank you, young men, for standing. Thank you for sitting on the front. I appreciate that. You can go ahead and stand to your feet as you find 2 Samuel chapter 11. Anyone tired tonight? You can be honest. Are you, are you tired? I am a little bit too. This won't be a long message, I promise you, okay? Don't, who said amen? Second okay. Samuel 11. Look at verse 14 if you would. Second Samuel 11, verse 14. Just look on as I read it. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab, Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite died also. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless this short time together in your house. Lord, thank you for the good day that you've given us. Thank you for the soul that was snatched from the burning this morning. And Lord, I pray that you continue to give fruit to this church's account. Lord, I pray that you'd go before them as they try to reach Corpus Christi for you. Lord, bind Satan and everything that he's trying to stop them from doing. Lord, I pray that in this service, Lord, that our hearts would be open to what you have for us, every single one of us, speaker and listener. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to say only what I should and not what I shouldn't. I pray that 
these good people, Lord, these tired people, these worried people, Lord, would receive something for your, from your word that would challenge them where they need challenging and encourage them where they need encouraging. And we'll praise you for all the work that you do in our hearts tonight. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is a fairly familiar story, and we'll recap some of it here in just a moment. But by way of introduction, might I say that the Bible is full of all kinds of stories about all kinds of different people. The Bible has stories with happy endings and stories with sad endings. There are stories about good people doing good things, bad people doing bad things, good people doing bad things, bad people doing good things, good things happening to good people, bad things happening to bad people, bad things happening to good people, and good things happening to bad people. Do you follow all that? You name it, the Bible has it. Some stories and examples in the Bible are for us to try to pattern our lives after. Some of them are admonition for us to avoid. Some of them are for our encouragement when we're down, and some of them are meant to humble us when we're getting too proud. Regardless of where the Bible story falls on that spectrum that I just laid out, might I tell you that if that story is in the Bible, it's there for a reason, and we need to learn something from it. The message tonight, though, comes from what I would call a very, very sad story. This is a sad story. It's one of the saddest that you'll find in the Bible. And as I was reading this in my devotions not long ago, I was struck by the story of Uriah. And specifically, I was struck by how utterly unfair life was to Uriah. Utterly unfair. Again, very familiar story. David was the king of Israel during this time. And during a time when kings were supposed to be in battle, David was at home out of place. One evening, he was walking on the roof of his house, and he looked down from his roof, his roof, and he saw a beautiful woman bathing herself. And this was not, I don't believe for one moment that this was Bathsheba's fault. I've heard some people preach, well, you know, she shouldn't have been bathing herself where people could see. You, you can read that into the story if you want, but David was not supposed to be there. He was not. Look with me, if you would, in verse 3. The Bible says there, and David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? The Bible calls this man Uriah the Hittite. And you might read this story and read that name and it not say anything to you, but have you ever thought about what that means, Uriah the Hittite? Okay, David was the king of the nation of Israel, right? David wasn't king of the Hittites, okay? The Bible takes care to call him a Hittite to show that Uriah was not born an Israelite. The Hittites were a nation that descended from Noah's son Ham, and they were an ungodly nation. The Hittites were one of the nations that inhabited Canaan, the promised land, that God had commanded the Israelites to drive out when they got there under Joshua. Undoubtedly, though, Uriah renounced his idolatry and converted to serve Jehovah God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Look at verse 4. And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her. 
for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. In this verse, David takes Uriah's wife Bathsheba and commits adultery with her. Verse 5, And the woman conceived and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. She became pregnant with David's child. Verse 6, And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. You see here David <coughs> calling Uriah home from the battle and making small talk with him as if nothing had happened. Hey, how's the battle going out there, Uriah? Just talking with him like a friend would talk to a friend. Verse 8, And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. So David sends Uriah home as if to reward him, as if to give him some well-deserved time off. And David also sent a mess of meat after him. I'm pretty sure that there's a Texas barbecue place called Mess of Meat. <laughs> if there's not, one of you should start one, okay? That just sounds like a very Texas-branded thing, a mess of meat. But David, David was trying to butter Uriah up, but David's intentions were anything but pure. He knew that he had committed a great sin, and like many of us, his first instinct was to try to cover up his sin. David tried to flatter and bribe Uriah with false kindness, hoping that he would go home and spend time with his wife. And then if Uriah found out that Bathsheba was pregnant, he would assume that it was his child. And since there were no paternity tests back in that day, that plan might have worked. But unfortunately for David, he misjudged Uriah's integrity and character. Look at verse 9 with me. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark in Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. Uriah refused to go home in comfort and pleasure when his comrades in arms, who Uriah may at one point have been fighting against, by the way, but now he was comrades in arms with them, were out in tents fighting for their lives. And Uriah said, no, I'm not going to go at home, go home in comfort while my brothers are out there sleeping in tents fighting. Verse 12, and David said to Uriah, tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow, and when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie in his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. We see in these verses that David got Uriah to agree to stay in Jerusalem for one more night, and David got Uriah drunk, hoping that he would do what he had wanted him to do the night before. Now, should Uriah have gotten drunk? No, absolutely not. We'll make no excuses for that flaw in his character. But you know what? In this instance, in this story, Uriah had more integrity while drunk than David did while he was sober. And that brings us back to our text in verses 14 through 17, where David commands Joab, the general, to send Uriah out to the battle 
where the battle was most intense and Uriah was there. And then Joab sounded the retreat and left Uriah out on his own where he stood no chance and Uriah was killed. And then David took the now widowed Bathsheba to be his wife. It's a sad story. This is the saddest story in David's life. And it was only the beginning of sorrows for David. Because the Bible says in verse 27, you don't need to turn there, but if you can see it, that's fine, that what David did had displeased the Lord. David thought that he had everything hidden, but God saw it all, and it displeased the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 15, David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So now David has to live the rest of his life and now enshrined in scripture with an asterisk on his otherwise stellar record. But as sad as it was for David, how much more sad was it for Uriah? How unfair, how wrong. I wanna preach a message tonight entitled Uriah's Eulogy. Uriah's eulogy. If we were to write a eulogy for Uriah that would have been read at his funeral, and how difficult it is to to try to write something that encapsulates a whole person's life in just a few paragraphs. But if we were to write a eulogy for Uriah, it might sound something like this. Today, we remember the life of Uriah the Hittite, a man whose native land was invaded and taken over by the nation of Israel. He abandoned his family and home to convert to Judaism, where he learned the art of war as necessary for his own survival. He rose in military rank only to be used as a disposable pawn by his general. While risking his life in battle, his own king betrayed him by stealing his wife, who bore the child of this affair. When given one last chance to enjoy the simple pleasures of life, His blind loyalty to his king and comrades robbed him of a delicious meal and a comfortable bed. After spending two uncomfortable nights under false pretenses, he returned to battle only to be deceived and manipulated one final time. In a cruel display of irony, in the end, he was betrayed and abandoned by the very same family and friends that he himself refused to betray and abandon. Uriah the Hittite's story is one of a wasted life spent in devotion to a god who left him alone when he needed him most. Just to reassure you all, I'm not going to end the message right there. This message is going to be short, but not that short. (laughs) I wrote that, and I, I knew it was going to be quiet in here. I wrote that to punctuate how unfair this story seems at first glance to Uriah. But how often you and I find ourselves viewing our circumstances when we go through something that we deem to be unfair. Quickly tonight, look with me and consider three things about the story of Uriah. First, I want you to consider the fallacy of the anecdotal. The fallacy of the anecdotal. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, if you would. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 
Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14. When you get there, say amen. amen. I still hear pages turning. <clears throat> Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14. The Bible says there, There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. The fallacy of the anecdotal. An anecdote is a single story that is based upon one person's experience. It's a single story based upon one person's experience. It is not a representative sample of the whole population. It's a single anecdote. This verse in Ecclesiastes says that sometimes just men have wicked things happen to them. And it says that sometimes wicked men enjoy the blessings of the just. The book of Ecclesiastes, that whole book is written from the point of view of a skeptic. It makes statements like this all throughout the book, and it calls it all vanity. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity, there it means empty, hollow, meaningless, useless, vain. But you have to read the whole book of Ecclesiastes to get the total picture. Look at verse 12 with me, Ecclesiastes 8, verse 12. This is a great verse. Though a sinner do evil an hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Folks, even though sometimes the wicked get away with things, even though they seem to be enjoying their lives, even though they seem to be prospering and they rule and they laugh and they mock, don't get caught up in single anecdotes. Don't get caught up in single examples. Don't base your faithfulness to God or your Christianity on one person's perception or one person's experience, good or bad. You had better serve the Lord because you love the Lord. I hope that you love your pastor, but your only reason for serving the Lord should not be your pastor. The only reason that you serve the Lord, young, young people, should not be because mommy and daddy told me to. You need to do it because you love the Lord. Don't base your Christianity on one person's perception or one person's experience. But folks, I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. Well, th this one time I obeyed God. I know that that's what he wanted me to do, but things still went bad. So I guess obedience just isn't worth it. Well, I knew someone that tithed their whole life faithfully and they still struggled to make ends meet. So I guess God doesn't provide my dad died of cancer. I guess God can't heal. Why did God allow that? I guess God is not fair. The fallacy of the anecdotal. Yes, the story of Uriah is in the Bible. It's there. And it's for our admonition. But hey, guess what? 
even though life was unfair to him from our perspective and God didn't choose to restore his marriage or protect him in that battle, for every Uriah, there's a Joseph who was betrayed, but God raised him up and prospered him. For every Uriah, there's a Job that experienced great difficulty, yet God restored him double what he had before. For every Uriah, there's a Noah that was saved from the flood, and there's a Moses that was delivered out of Egypt, and a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that walked in the fire unharmed, and a Daniel that spent a night with the lions unscathed, and a Peter that was broken out of prison, and a Paul that was bitten by venomous snakes and came out unharmed. If you're going to get fixated on stories, at least be honest. Don't jump over the good ones to find the one bad one. I've known so many people over my life to get bitter and upset and angry over the years regarding something that happened to them. And you know what, folks? Bitterness, it doesn't just change the perception that we have of our present and our future, though it does. It changes the way that we view everything in front of us. You know what it also does? It changes the way that we view everything behind us, too. It steals the good out of our memory. When you ask a bitter person about the years that have preceded them, all you hear about is bad, 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 bad. And I guarantee you, it was not all bad. But that's what bitterness does. It steals the goodness out of your life. It sucks it out of you. You're, you can't find anything good. You find the cloud in every silver lining. And it clouds all of your memories of the past as well. The fallacy of the anecdotal. Number two, I want you to see the fairness of eternity. The fairness of eternity. Turn to Revelation chapter 21, if you would. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. <clears throat> if you hit the maps, you've gone too far. <laughs> Revelation 21, verse 1. The Bible says there, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Can I get an amen on verse 4? One day, folks, one day. If I could summarize this point, the fairness of eternity, if I could summarize it simply and quickly, it's this. Heritage Baptist Church, don't forget about heaven. Don't forget about heaven. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the, run the race till we see Christ. Hey, Christian, if you are basing your happiness on whether the scales of justice are going to be tipped in your favor here on this earth, you might live a sad life. 
If you are basing your happiness on whether the scales of justice are tipped in your favor here on this earth, you might live a sad life. Because the truth is, folks, it just doesn't always happen in this life. God righted the wrongs in Joseph's life here on earth. He did the same thing for Job. He didn't do it for Uriah. But hey, do you think the first words out of Uriah's mouth when he saw his Lord and Savior, do you think his first words were, hey, God, you did me wrong? You think that's what he said? No, he didn't. I can promise you he didn't. I know that for a couple of reasons. One reason that I know that he didn't say that in heaven is because of this. You and I read the story of Uriah, and we can list all the wrongs that were done to him. It's very clearly laid out. Uriah didn't know. Uriah didn't know. Uriah never found out about Bathsheba. Uriah never knew that David was trying to bribe him and betray him. As far as Uriah knew, as one of David's mighty men, he died doing what he was there to do, fighting for his nation, for the Lord. He didn't know. He died in that battle and he opened his eyes and he saw his Lord and Savior. I guarantee he didn't complain. Listen, even if he had known everything that was wrong that was done to him, I still guarantee you that he would not have complained when he saw his Lord and Savior. He would not have complained. We read the story and we say, wow, look how unfair, look how wrong. I promise you that Uriah didn't utter a word of that when he saw his Lord. Because when we get up there, folks, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter one iota, one moment. You won't be in eternity for half a second. And you will have forgotten every wrong. Every moment of trial every burden that you bore, every person that you trusted that betrayed your trust when you look in the eyes of your Savior, you'll forget. And boy, that's going to be some good amnesia. <laughs> Listen, folks, I don't know what we think heaven is, but if we think heaven is going to be a time where we just walk around and gripe and complain about everything that happened to us on earth, you think you're going to look at the wounds in his hands and feet and tell him about the financial struggle you went through? You think you're going to look at, at a God that loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you? And you're going to tell him, hey, God, let me tell you about this Sunday school teacher that did me wrong one time. Hey, God, let me tell you, let me tell you how unfair the church was to me. I don't believe so. I don't believe so. We're not going to complain up there because it's not going to matter to us up there. And I have a question, folks. If it's not going to matter to us up there, then why does it matter so much to us down here? Too much. We're supposed to be heavenly minded, right? We're supposed to have the mind of Christ. And we want the power of his resurrection, but that also means the fellowship of his sufferings. And just remember, folks, just remember that in the grand scheme of eternity, 
this existence that you have here on earth. And I don't know everyone's life. I don't know everyone's story. I know the stories of some of the people at my home church, and some of them have been through some, some hard things. Some of them have lived through some hard things. The point of this message is not to try to trivialize what you've gone through. It's not that. It's just to tell you, please keep it in perspective. Please. Please understand that this is, is just a, a blip in the grand scheme of eternity. The majority of your existence is not going to be here. It's going to be up there. But, oh, can I also ask you, please, don't overlook all the good blessings of God that you have here on this earth. Yes, heaven will make it all worth it. But, hey, God's been good to you down here too, hasn't he? Has God been good to you, Heritage Baptist Church? Has God saved some of you and taken your families from falling apart and put them back together? Has God given you hope in your life? Is this church shining as a beacon in this lost, dark world? And God, for some reason, in his providence, has chosen to allow us to be a part of his plan. Praise God. Praise God. And all this in heaven, too. All this in heaven, too. Even if your life on this earth was nothing but misery, and I'm sure it's not, but even if it was, don't forget the fairness of eternity. It'll be worth it all. The fallacy of the anecdotal, the fairness of eternity, and then number three, I want you to consider with me the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll be done here shortly. 2 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 2. Can I tell you folks, you are so easy to preach to. You really are. You really are, and that's a blessing. Um, people put a lot of pressure on the preacher to be prayed up and prepared up and all those things are important but you have no idea the role that you play in God's message going forth prepared hearts open hearts and I know that you receive preaching so well because you get a lot of good preaching around here The faithfulness of God, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 13. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. You know that there are some things that God can't do. He can't deny himself. Hebrews 13 verse 5, the Bible says, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We don't have time to reference every verse that establishes and confirms the faithfulness of God, but I hope you know that you serve a faithful God. And I hope you know that this Bible is replete with examples of how God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And these verses are all in this Bible, but let me ask you, do you really believe those verses? Do you really believe them? Do you really believe them? Yeah. Or do you think that somehow God has forsaken you? Do you think that somehow God's faithfulness has run out with you? But brother Abe, what about Uriah? This message is about Uriah. What about, what about him? Was God faithful to him? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. God never left Uriah. Uriah went through some difficult things, but God never left Uriah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who told you? Who told you that Christians were never going to go through some bad stuff? I'm sorry. They lied to you. 
If I could stand before you tonight with some sort of false prosperity gospel and tell you that the moment that I accepted Christ, that I've never, I've never, never shed a tear since I got saved when I was four. <laughs> that I've never had a, a difficult day in my life. That all my problems disappeared when I got saved. It's just not true. And you know that too. You haven't been saved for five minutes and something's going wrong. But hey, it's not the circumstances that define the life of the Christian. It is the companionship of Christ. It is not the circumstances that define the life of the Christian. It is the companionship of Christ. God never left Uriah during all that time, and God has never left you during all the hard times that you've gone through. And the truth is, you don't know how much harder those times would be were not for God. God never said that you wouldn't have your back against a sea. He can just part it if you need him to. He never said that you wouldn't get thrown into a pit or a prison unfairly. But he can help you to interpret the dreams that lead to your deliverance. He never said that you weren't going to face a giant, but he can guide that smooth stone right into their forehead. He never said that you wouldn't be thrown into a furnace. He just said that he would hold you so close that when you got out, you couldn't even smell smoke on you. He never said that you wouldn't be thrown into a lion's den for the terrible sin of praying. But the lion of the tribe of Judah will stop the mouths of those other lions and keep you safe. Were it not for God, folks, Uriah would have died a heathen Hittite and burned in hell for eternity, were it not for God. Were it not for God, he likely would never have been blessed with an Israelite wife. And think about this, folks. God knows our frame. God knows what we can handle and what we can't. Maybe God never let Uriah find out about Bathsheba because he knew that he couldn't handle it. Maybe God just said, Uriah, I'm going to bring you up here. Because what would Uriah's life would have been like even if he would have survived after that? Tough. And maybe God just knew Uriah... You're not going to be able to handle that down there, so I'm going to spare you. I'm going to spare you some heartache. I'm going to, I'm going to take you up there. I, I, don't, I don't know that that was the reason, but listen, I know that God helped Uriah retain the innocence, uh, innocency of his hands even though he got drunk. I know that God protected him in that way. I don't know exactly why God chose to deal with Uriah and all the choices that were made, but I know that it was the right way because God's way is always right. God's way is always right. God never left Uriah. He will never leave you. Don't forget about the faithfulness of God. At the start of this message, I read you a eulogy for Uriah, and I purposefully wrote it from a very cynical, worldly perspective. But allow me to read you a different version of that eulogy from the perspective of a Christian. Today, we remember the life of Uriah the Hittite, a man who was spared destruction, though many around him were not. The providence of God rescued him from idolatry and paganism, and he happily worshipped and served the one true God for the rest of his life. His might and valor in battle were legendary, and he will forever be remembered as one of the king's mighty men. When faced 
With the chance to compromise his principles and betray his comrades in arms, he stood strong and his integrity remained intact. He was spared of the grief and heartbreak of the knowledge of infidelity. And when faced with the cost of godliness, he willingly paid it. Uriah was not the name that he was born with. We don't know his birth name, but we do know that he lived up to the meaning of his new name. Jehovah is my light. As a reward, he received a hero's welcome in heaven by his Lord and Savior and likely heard those precious words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Perspective changes things, doesn't it? Rather than view this story of Uriah's life as unfair, how about we focus on how Uriah responded to unfairness with unwavering faithfulness? He responded to unfairness with unwavering faithfulness. And we need some of that Christianity today. We need some of that back in our churches, back in our homes. What, what happened to the Christianity that says, let God be true, but every man a liar? What happened to the Christianity that says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? What happened to the Christianity that said, our God is able to deliver us, but if not, we're still not bowing down to you? What happened to that Christianity? Have we lost it? Are you hanging on to one instance of wrongdoing in your life and refusing to let go? Have you focused too much on the way you feel now and have forgotten about the way that you're going to feel in heaven? Have you become so used to the faithful fellowship and companionship of God that you've taken it for granted? I pray that you don't. Next time you read the story of Uriah and you see all the unfairness just look at how Uriah carried himself, faithful to God to the last moment. And don't feel sorry for him because he's not feeling sorry anymore. He's not feeling sorry up there. He doesn't need your pity. He needs you to follow his example. Heritage Baptist Church, I know that you're going through some deep waters right now. And I'm sure that if I could pass a microphone around to each and every one of you, you could share something that you're carrying right now, some burden, some heartache, Something legitimate that someone has said or done and you were mistreated, things were unfair. Don't get caught up on single examples. Don't forget that heaven's going to make it worth it all. And don't forget that you have a God that's always faithful to you. And one day you're going to look him in the eyes and you're going to want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.